Welcome to the Filament Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. How's it going, Norton? Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. All right. I watched an amazing game of Hearthstone last night. Yeah? Yeah. Did you have a quest for, like, the no the playing uh, to win thing? No, I just actually, I told Troon this. I just realized that I am a much better player of Hearthstone in spectate mode than I am in any other mode. <laughs> I really excel. So I was watching uh, one of our developers, uh, Jason Falarski, play last night, and he had a epic battle. <clears throat> Everyone was out of cards. It mm-hmm. went to like 11 or 12 damage and fatigue every turn. Oh my god. The other player had that new card, uh, Reno, that heals you up all the way to full if you if you is that like a explorers thing or yeah okay and they were able to essentially play that three times so uh Flarsky lost he was one damage short so he wound up he did cumulatively you know 59 points of damage over the course of this game it was this giant epic battle that's outrageous i hope i hope the well-played emotes were used at the end of that battle. i don't think so i think ever i think they were both really salty Mm -hmm. at the end it was a miserable slog interesting super fun to watch well see that's i I enjoy the slogs it's like this is a good volley yeah i respect i respect the fact that you're countering everything that i'm doing yeah yeah, it was it was fun to watch Hmm. i really do like it it's fun because hearthstone Hearthstone fits that category of like, I think of things like Wheel of Fortune, right? Where watching it and participating aren't that far away from each other. That's true. You know, like you can play, quote unquote, Wheel of Fortune by watching it, by being the first person in your room to yell out the thing. So when you're spectating, like you're just, it's like as if you're looking over the shoulder of your friend. Yes. You right? can't see so you your phone's car. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Otherwise, that'd be cheat-tastic. You know? It's true. You could just call him. Yeah, yep. <laughs> he's so, got a Reno. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's fun because you can you can have decisions about plays. You can some you know sometimes frantically type in, <laughs> oh do this do this thing, <laughs> you know. But uh, for the most part, you just let them do their thing and see what happens. All right. All yeah. Right. Cool. When you think about like play and watching play, it's just sort of interesting space. Like if you look at like the Madden football games, right? Mm-hmm. They're designed in such a way they don't look like anything that would l- be like actually playing football, right? You're this hovering god eye that mm-hmm. man, and, and really it's kind of like madden simulates not football but like some kind of really really special interactive way of watching football like right. all the perspectives mm-hmm. are our camera perspectives you get from seeing football on television but then you actually can interact with it right it's very it's very strange yeah i think there is like a version of madden where it's like you can actually drop into first person perspective of one of the players on the field. I'm sure it's pretty terrible. Yeah. It, well, yeah. exactly. I was going to say, that's a very finite experience. It's like five seconds of jostling and then yeah. the play is oh, over. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Yeah. I mean, and your field of view as a, I mean. This is why we're not football players. Yeah. The, and the only reason. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, discipline, fitness. Yes. Uh, age. Hulking mass. Yeah. <laughs> We've Aim. got all those things. Yeah. Uh, all the other, all the other categories are filled. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Speaking of teams... Okay, segue accepted. (laughs) Acceptable. All right. Um, (laughs) One thing that we'd like to discuss today is the idea of working with slash managing creative individuals and teams. Hmm. 
which I think is rich ground for discussion. Absolutely. Uh, that's what we do here. We create playful experiences. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, at least from my perspective in the marketing department, is that Traditionally, I have not worked in a game studio. This is the only game studio I've ever worked in. I've worked in lots of other much more traditional corporate business environments that Mm -hmm. are not involved in a creative enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so, typically in those environments, the marketing department is known as like the wacky creative people, Ah. which was entirely inverted when I joined this studio because I am the more business oriented and business like engaged in the actual Mm -hmm. act of selling and marketing. Yes. And so, I found myself at a different, like, kind of had had glacially moved without even knowing it to, like, this more corporate side of things. You're a suit. Exactly. I am a suit. I'm no longer (laughs) the wacky creative, um, which is the opposite of any other job I've had because the marketing department is known as that. Uh, So it's just interesting to me that there are degrees of, you know, perception around what a creative professional is. That's interesting. I never never considered that, Brandon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, my father's an engineer, and and he sees marketing as a, a dangerous, mm. subversive element to the yeah. act of making things safely and on time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but I guess that, that actually kind of lines up. They're yeah. like the people who make things up and then engineering, they're like, and then we fix it. Yep. I, no, I, uh, I worked at an engineering firm mm-hmm. uh, for, for a time. It was about a year and a half. And yep, they all viewed the marketing yeah. department in that way. And the marketing department, as a result, had this sort of shared sense of martyrdom. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they were just utterly marginalized by the rest of the company. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Our entire shop exists to create things that did not previously exist. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's usually... Some combination of looking at things that exist and then thinking of new things entirely and then uh, cobbling those together and then solving all the problems that go along with that. So we don't really have a a hierarchy that deposits creativity solely in the hands of one person or another. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would say, if anything, our processes at Filament have evolved to give more and more people more creative agency. Yeah, so I mean, I think the default you'd assume would be the designer, right? Mm -hmm. Would be, well, they're going to be creative. They'll wear some kind of kooky hat and, (laughs) you know, play hopscotch on the way to work, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then everyone else would sort of fulfill that person's whims and desires while they, you know, sit on a pillow and make things up. And in reality, you know, making a game, especially a learning game, there are really creative problems across every piece of the discipline. There's really creative, difficult technology problems, user interface problems, tracking problems, obviously learning problems. I mean, yeah, so there's there's all these different sorts of decisions that involve creative decisions. So Filament's always had a very collaborative approach. So I think, I mean, for us, like when we sort of talk about the challenge there, it's kind of like, how do we make sure it's not, you know, Lord of the Flies? Mm. Like, how do we actually still distill down making a decision that maybe isn't the most popular? Like, how what's the ultimate authority we can appeal to on a problem, et cetera? And mm-hmm. I think that's that's usually our biggest problem as an org that we've, you know, kind of worked on and hammered on over the years is like, there's decisions that people want to make and people want to take ownership over those things and yep. we're very good at delegating those out. And then there are sometimes decisions that no one wants to make. Mm-hmm. And then, 
Yeah, and that's and that's sort of where like yeah, creative leadership really gets like tricky business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's I can say that that's even reflected uh, in my role trying to build the website, mm-hmm. you know, trying to build the marketing materials. Mm-hmm. Lots of people have different opinions on how those things should look and how those should be written. Mm-hmm. And so I have to assert my own authority over those things and take that leadership role because otherwise you're essentially designing by committee, Yep. which because it's an idiom, we know it's bad. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think the thing is like you always want to try and appeal to an evidence-based argument about why something would be the thing to do. But mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is there's often multiple plausible ways to go. Right. Not only that, but you can make the most reasonable decision and actually still be wrong. Yep. Because it turns out life's complicated sometimes. Yeah. And that, that's such a struggle too, to try and shield yourself from that kind of relativism mm-hmm. that you that is really easy to slip into. It's like, if you're able to see both sides of an issue, that's very easily a paralyzing situation. Right. Yeah, uh, I've gotten better at it because I've. It used to be that a arbitrary or a coin flippy type scenario would paralyze me, but now I'm mm-hmm. just like, flip it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, you know, when there's a fork in the road, take it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I've gotten. I think I've gotten better over the years with, because that's the other thing too. Is that like, the teams really want they want to feel creative agency that they're participating and have the room to make the best thing possible. Yep. So they will they will be unhappy if they feel like they're being stepped on and that their expertise is being ignored, and that is a bad thing. But at the same time, they'll also be unhappy if they feel like the project is lilting or going in circles. It's just a constant recalibration of making sure that people feel like they have the agency to make the best decisions, but also providing guidance to move in a direction. We're kind of uncovering the idea that to encourage creativity and to make that a successful professional practice, mm-hmm. you have to both provide guidance mm-hmm. and leadership to an extent that isn't that isn't micromanaging, mm-hmm. but is uh, is really aspirational and inspirational, and it's it's a way forward. But you also have to make it clear that everybody working on a project, whether it's a game, whether it's a marketing campaign, that they know that they've got a stake in it mm-hmm. and that they have creative agency and are enabled and empowered mm-hmm. to voice those things, even if it ultimately doesn't come to anything. If they've got an idea that doesn't actually get adopted, yeah, they shouldn't feel discouraged to even voice those things. Right. Because I've found that so many of the best stuff that I've worked on, and then this is not even just at Filament, like in my entire career, has come from vectors that you would least expect. Mm-hmm. People who have a little lightning bolt of inspiration, and suddenly this idea crystallizes, and you're off and running. I mean, if I told you, I actually told this to a client recently, if I told you I had a great new idea for a game, and, and you were to say, like, well, what is it, Dan? Mm-hmm. I would say, oh, well, here's the thing. There's going to be pigs. I'm going to throw birds at them. <laughs> right? That's not a good idea. It's yeah. a terrible idea. On paper, it, that is a nonsense premise. Right? Yeah. There's lots of great sounding ideas that are going to be, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, the, the ground of games is littered with plausibly great ideas mm-hmm. that are poorly executed and didn't deliver the goods. Yeah, or I, you're going to be a, a diminutive Italian plumber. 
Right. From Brooklyn. Right. <laughs> that is stopping on a bunch of different toadstools. Yeah. You had me until toadstools. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, <I'm... laughs> I thought this was going to be a game about plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> kind of an interesting game. But anyway, yeah. So there's so much that can go absolutely right or wrong in the execution of a game and focusing on the play experience. So what's really important, honestly, is like, yeah, the team feels like they have a direction and agency to succeed. And those are the things that, honestly, creative leadership is really most about fostering. It's not really about having the best ideas. Because who knows? I mean, what's the best idea? Right. There are ideas that are not bad yet. That's true. There are ideas that are instantly bad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And everything else comes down to making it, playing it, and seeing what happens. It's a trick. You know, I struggle sometimes with just getting people comfortable with that level of, like, it's hard to say. Well, and do you think there's an element that you're relying on intuition. Yeah. And the, I mean, for me personally, that's definitely been a factor uh, as I've kind of matured into a creative professional role is that there are things that you know unconsciously or subconsciously that will express themselves by following intuition and instinct. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is a key part of the process is trusting in your own instincts. Right. I think that's very fair. I've played a lot of games I do a pretty good job, I think, of like rolling my eyes back in my head and playing a game that does not yet exist because I've just got this giant Rolodex of pieces of games in my head. You know, so yeah, I feel like I've got pretty decent hunches. Sometimes trusting your instincts looks like it would have been the best idea, and sometimes pushing yourself out of your comfort zone would have been the best idea. Right. So it's, I try, I try not to ever sort of just insist that obviously I'm right. Well, I had had a a meeting a week or so ago where I got the sensation that I was the only person in the room who was not insane, right? (laughs) And at those moments, you've got to just be like, well, the odds are poor. (laughs) The odds are poor that I'm the only person in this room who's not insane. It's more likely my understanding of this is so different that that I'm just going to have to roll with what's going on, Mm -hmm. right? It's just not a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. I really do see creative leadership and design really as people problems rather than cerebral problems. Mm -hmm. I think creative leadership is more about working with a team of creative people and making sure that they are set up to succeed rather than doing all the thinking and then handing the thinking out Mm -hmm. and then telling people to execute on it. Right. I think sometimes people crave the thinking written out and handed to them. It's true. Um, and I think I've, I, I, to be blunt, I often disappoint those people. <laughs> uh, but I think that's that's really my approach on creative leadership is more about making sure that the people who work with me have room to succeed in being creative. Right. And that means giving them room, letting them make mistakes, asking questions, and fostering their ability to make decisions for themselves. Speaking of creative people. Oh, not Josh. None of those things apply to Josh. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. You do all the thinking for me and I just execute. That's right. I just have these punch cards. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, for our, our second segment today, we want to talk to Josh, the sound engineer, video guy, and jack of all trades, media, extremely talented in my opinion. I, I'll just say it. 
and it's recorded. Oh, now. thank you. Yeah, he's <laughs> um, kind of a neat guy. <laughs> so this is um, all on the business card, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Josh Reynolds. Yeah. He's kind of a neat guy. Kind of a neat guy. <laughs> yeah. So we just want to talk to Josh about uh, you know what he does, how he does it, and uh, what it's like working in the sound studio here at Filament. Yeah, which you're in right now. Which we're like sitting we're, in. We're in it. Yeah. yeah, this is an immersive interview experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm doing my job actually right now as you interview me about my job. Yeah. So what is this like right now? How does this feel? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, talk a little bit about what you do. So primarily as a sound designer, I get to think about music and sound effects and voiceover. Um, With sound effects, it's everything from button clicks to what it sounds like to be in that world, the environment, the ambience. Voiceovers, I get to work with uh, some cool, talented people who provide their voices to characters if uh, if we have a narrative that um, requires that. And music, I get to compose and perform and write all of the music that goes along with our game. So to sum it up would be everything that comes out of your headphones or your speakers comes Mm -hmm. from the studio. I think that's so cool that it's it's both the composition and the sound engineering. I feel like that's got to be a fairly unique outlay of <laughs> of professional roles. What's the process of of working with the game teams to develop sound? Yeah, and we've talked a lot about the creative process already. And yeah, and, so within that context, <laughs> well, working in a studio like this, it's there's tons of creative people. I mean, I'm not the guy who makes the final decision on these things. There's, I, I communicate with artists and designers who all point me in different directions and sometimes it's the same direction and my role is to really just put into practice what everyone else is already doing so 99 percent of the time stuff has already been created there's art there's there's a design doc there's a script if there's a a larger narrative Mm -hmm. and so i get to take a look at those things and like you kind of said with intuition to my best knowledge and judgment make the thing that goes along with all that stuff Creative problem solving is huge, and I, I love the problems that I get to solve with music and with sound and with, with voiceover. I mean, who else gets to ask themselves, you know, what, what does photosynthesis sound like, <laughs> you know? Or what music should accompany digestion? Uh, what, what does photosynthesis sound like, Josh? Well, well see, to me, you know, I, I, <laughs> there's no right answer. I, I just say, you know, I think it sounds like a staccato violin. And uh, it's not like, nope, that's wrong. It should have been legato bass clarinet. You know? <laughs> there's, it's kind of a, a process of creative choices. But, uh, but these are the problems that I get to solve, and it's amazing. I, I think they're really fun, creative problems, and I love asking myself those kind of questions. Brandon, what do you think photosynthesis should, should sound like? Uh, I, I think just like a low hum. A low hum, mm. yeah. I'm thinking like a high-pitched wine. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I went straight to like tube and throat singing. Yeah. yeah. That's nice, though. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if, if only all the meadows were just constantly yeah. making like, every forest. It's just... like a, a nightmare where you're like, I would love to hear plants. It's like, okay. <laughs> you insist. This is it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we need to re-record the photosynthesis sounds. Yeah. And reach for the Probably. song to I think that. I got, I, based on what just happened, I think I got them all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you blew it. Yeah. You blew it. I blew it. Yeah. <laughs> What would you say is like the, your favorite project that you've worked on here? Favorite project. Okay. I love music. Music is probably my favorite thing to do. 
And I have my choice of if I were to write music on my own, I know what I would like to write. But the studio, we do so many different genres of game, Mm -hmm. anything from 1920s plant shop to futuristic space. I mean, it's just everything. So getting to kind of work from genre to genre and test myself and test my limits of, of what I know how to do has been great. But it's, it's the stuff where I get to land in what I love, and that is the sweeping cinematic romantic movie score. Mm. Occasionally, you know, most games I, I write, you know, a few four-minute tracks that go in the background. And other than that, it's heavy on sound design, heavy on VO. But there's been a few where it requires an hour to an hour and a half of just score. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the stuff I really like sitting down. And it's kind of a, a classical trigger that is flipped on in my brain where um, I get to write for a, a huge orchestra. And I don't know, that's, it's a bigger, complex puzzle, I guess, that I get to try and solve uh, when I get to work on those types of games. So as you kind of bounce around the different genres that we do, is are there composers that you draw inspiration from? Sure. Main people I pull from, like I said, I'm a movie guy. So Hans Zimmer is big for me. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he does a lot with just simple emotions. Josh, could you give me an example? I'm actually not familiar with Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer, uh, think of any dark superhero movie. He's done it. Batman, Superman. Oh, okay. He'll go all the way back to, uh, I think he did the score to The Lion King back oh. in whenever that was, 94. But he's done so much, like the Madagascar movies. It seems like there's nothing that he won't do genre-wise, and that's kind of something I appreciate and aim to do, obviously, for this, uh, just with all the genres that we try and tackle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's the guys who do Pixar and Disney. I mean, just the fun, light stuff. Uh, most of it is how do I create emotion with music? Mm-hmm. And how do I make someone feel something with instruments? Sometimes it's a larger problem in some games than others, but it's definitely something fun to think about. You know, how do I make someone excited about this part of the game with mm-hmm. just music? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and score is so critical. I'm watching The Leftovers right now, which is mm-hmm. an HBO show, and it's scored by uh, Max Richter who's the guy that did the Blue Notebooks. And there's a lot to be said for just the emotional impact of music because the show, that show, The Leftovers, it would be, com- be fundamentally different without the score that it has. The, mm. the score like defines its character in a lot of ways. So can you talk a little bit about like what's the most challenging stuff that you have to do here? Like what, what do you really, what do you grapple with? What sure. stresses you out? Yeah, I mean, with everything I just said about who I draw from and, and uh, you know, take bits and pieces from, the hard thing is to not just do what they do and not copy them. You know, a lot of the mm-hmm. times I said stuff is already created and, and design documents have been made. A lot of the times the designers will come to me with, uh, you know, just make it like The Incredibles or make it like James Bond music. You mm. know, it's like that stuff already exists. So in my mind, I have to not just copy that and make that same thing, but make something unique and, and my own. Right. But still takes from that genre. Alludes to it. Alludes to it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always walking a fine line between what's going to be familiar, but not the same. Right. What's familiar versus what's derivative. Right. Exactly. So that's that's something I bang my head against the wall a lot with. There have been moments where even, you know, QA has come back to me and said, this track that we have in this game sounds a lot like this. And then I go and listen to the two. I was like, yep, those are pretty close. <laughs> I have been watching a lot of Star Wars trailers recently. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think my favorite was, I think you mentioned it briefly earlier, it was a crazy plant shop. Yeah. And I was like, you know, the, the, the pre-war jazz and then I was like, I don't know if you've ever seen the Chiefs and Wooster right, show, right. the wonderful opening. And then and then you just made 
not that song, but songs right from that place and time. Sure. And, yeah. and then in the game, there's a little record player, and it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's just wonderful. Josh, to, to kind of round off on this, what would be your advice to aspiring sound designers, people who want to have their own big, cool recording studio like you do <laughs> within a game development studio? Who, how do they get to where you are? I think it takes time. I mean, it just takes doing the thing over and over and over again. I mean, creative jobs, you just have to create. It has to be second nature. When you're working in a studio, as much as this studio is kind of confined and I am on my own a lot, Collaboration is key. I've mentioned talking with artists and designers and being able to communicate in their different disciplines, mm-hmm. learning their languages so that uh, when they say something, I understand it and can immediately apply that to what I do. And, and vice versa, you know, when I say, you know, uh, this music's going to sound like this and the artist can take that, I can describe it to them and they can change their art uh, and, and design and can all match each other. So knowing how to communicate within a studio, knowing different genres. You know, like I said, I have my favorite genre. I love writing the musical score, but knowing how to do all of the other stuff is key too. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have a job unless I knew how to pivot and, and learn genres and instruments and be able to make stuff that I don't necessarily even like uh, or wouldn't listen to on my own. <laughs> but it's something that I know how it works and how it applies and how it functions within a game. So... Um, learning how stuff functions like that yeah. is key. Excellent. Welcome to the uh, second of what is certainly going to be a long-lived Series, it's got legs. Yeah, uh, it's Contronym Corner. What was the last? Do you remember the last Contronym we did? I don't. It was Moot? I think it was Moot. Was it Moot? Darn. It was. Well, that's yeah, unfortunate because that's my favorite one. So we're like done with. It's like we, we peaked. peaked. We peaked. Okay, no. All right, we got another good one. Today's Contronym is peruse. 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 Yeah. Normally, normal human beings when they say peruse, they mean kind of browse. Skim, yeah, so just skim, glance over something. It. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. when the actual original and still acceptable definition of peruse is to actually pour over extremely thoroughly and scrutinize every last bit. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. That's today's contronym. Peruse is not perusing. Thanks for listening to the Film and Games Podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and well-informed, accurate observations about sports and such, subscribe today on Stitcher or iTunes. 